Hello and welcome to Cannon Fodder, a podcast for cinephiles. I'm film critic Daniel Barnes. With me, as always, is my good friend and fellow cinephile, Quirky McDonald. And I think that you'll find that while there are no bicycle thieves, we will steal your heart and your bicycle. You should you should lock that up. Your heart's your bicycles, and your time, because you're spending time that you could never get back listening to us ramble and prattle now, on about movies. You could be wandering the streets of Rome right now. Uh, you could be pawning some of your most treasured possessions, and yet you've chosen to listen to our show. You could be talking to a loved one or a lost friend that you'll never see again with the fleeting moments of your life just ticking by, and yet you're listening to me drone on. That's beautiful. That's beautiful stuff. Dan, what is cannon fodder? Cannon fodder. Should I explain it? Should I over-explain it? Take, find take a good one level of these people's times, man. Sit there, time. Right? Like, you you got nothing to do. We're all just sitting here waiting to die. Uh, every episode, of course, we will review one selection from the most recent sight and sound list of the greatest films of all time. And then we'll rate it on our slight or sound scale. If we both rate it as sound, the movie will be inducted into our official cannon fodder cannon but if one or both of us decide it's too slight for the cannon we'll select a slighted movie that didn't make the sight and sound list to put in its place wordplay and at the end of each show we'll randomly select the movie to review on our next episode so you with the rest of the time that you have left that we Mm -hmm. have not stolen from you already can then spend that time (laughs) watching what we picked Influencing your life to listen again and spend more of your time with us. Watching it at home so that you can play along with us here on the show. Corky, we are selling the fuck out of this podcast. I mean, I like, are we coming on too strong with like how amazing this show is and what a great use of everyone's time it is? Why are we talking bicycle thieves? We should have been talking time bandits because that's what we are, Dan. (laughs) We'll steal your time. Tick, tick, mine. Yeah, so every week we we pick a movie at random. We pray to the the gods of the random number generator. They are mysterious in their ways and yet we 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 we've given ourselves fully to them. Whatever they bring down, that's the movie that we watch and last week or sorry, 2 weeks ago on our previous episode where we reviewed The Exterminating Angel, the random number generator gods bestowed us with Bicycle Thieves, Ladre de Bicicleta. God bless you, random number generator gods. Espiritu Santo. <laughs> Often referred to as the bicycle thief, based mm. largely on New York Times critic Bosley Crowther mangling the Italian translation. And it's appropriate we're reviewing the film because it, it did place 41st on the 2022 Critics Bowl. That's the one that we're kind of going off of. But it placed number one, number one in the first Sight and Sound Critics Poll back in 1952. They do this poll every 10 years. It, in 1952, four years after it was released, like three years after it was released in North America. That is, I mean, that's how much of an impact it had and how it, it continues to be a fixture in this poll. And on on lists of the best films uh, ever and in film schools and and anywhere where you're talking about the canon. It seems like it'd be like one of the movies that prompted the creation of this list because all the people who loved movies and wanted to talk movies obviously wanted to talk this movie. 
Yeah, uh, and as I said, it was uh, four years after it came yeah. out. I mean, that's like, wow, that is wild. Um, directed, co-written, and co-produced by Vittorio De Sica, uh, released November 1948 in Italy, 1949 in the United States. It did win an honorary Academy Award for Best Foreign Language Film. Yeah, it even got a Best Screenplay nomination. Do we know what won Best Picture in '49? 1949 was, I do believe, All the King's Men. Um, okay. Literary adaptation, uh, you know, sort of your typical Hollywood best picture kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just curious. Sorry to interrupt. No. Interrupt away. If it, it involves Oscar trivia, you, you you should be interrupted. Yeah, so. I fucking... Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you heard that. He just knew the, the best picture winner of 49. Hey, come on. Stop it. Stop Set and shot on the streets of post-World War II Rome. That's Bicycle Thieves, not all the Kingsmen. <laughs> <laughs> With non-professional actors. It's theoretically based on the novel by Luigi Bartolini, but apparently they just paid for the title and they threw the rest away. That's It was like a, a, about a, like a middle-class hero. It was not this sort of poor hero. Instead, De Sica tells the story of Antonio, an out-of-work laborer, Husband, father of two children in a city rampant with poverty, unemployment, and obviously crime. Antonio, he's already given up before the film even begins. Everyone else is marching into the unemployment office, desperate for work. He's in the dirt, just looking at rocks, playing with his shoelaces. Um, but fate tosses him a lifeline. He's already, he's a drowned man, not a drowning man. Fate still tosses him a lifeline, a good city job, pasting up posters around Rome on his bicycle. This is a good job. I mean, it's not really a good job. I mean, I guess you get a lot of exercise, but like you're, they, they're carrying these ladders on the bicycle. I mean, whatever. However, this hope, this uh, brief moment of hope, it proves fleeting when a thief and his confederates make away with the bicycle, this treasured bicycle, this lifeline, this way to work, this way to support his family, and it happens on his first day on the job. So this sends Antonio and his son Bruno on a quest to retrieve the bicycle, and spoiler alert for a 75-year-old movie that... I can't imagine why you'd be listening to the show if you didn't really actually care about. It does not end super well. There's not a triumphant freeze frame as Antonio pumps his fist in the air on his brand new bicycle with Bruno riding on the handlebar. That doesn't happen. Just as a head, just put that out of your mind right now. Uh, instead, they're they again they're going this quest, this journey. They're brought into contact with this broad cross section of their world. In this case, it's post World War II slums. In Italy, we see we see this all this parts of their society, these bicycle black markets, upscale eateries. But with as any any great quest, it's really about the journey with it. And quirky, I think that's why I really love this movie. It has, I mean, it's obviously saying a lot about society, uh, poverty, the dehumanization, and and everything that goes along with that. But it's really about these people, uh, especially the father and the son. Desica never forgets that, and yet. Nothing feels really forced. It doesn't feel melodramatic. This movie, it gets talked a lot in terms to its connection to Italian neorealism, which is a sort of loose movement post-World War II Italy. The studios were all bombed out. Nobody had any money. So they were making these documentary-style movies on the street, on location, non-professional actors, movies about poor people, movies about society. 
and that's that's what this movie is but it's not just that story about these miserable poor people i think like that's that's the legacy is a lot of really bad movies about the miserable poor people yeah it's a sad it's heartbreaking but there's also these amazing moments of comedy of tenderness of darkness despair joy it's all there it's not take your medicine here's your italian neorealism i think making that the headline is kind of a way to just sort of put it in a box stick it on a shelf and then you don't really have to like engage with it or maybe ever you know um that con focusing on the concept of, of documentary realism doesn't address how beautifully shot this movie is it doesn't address its emotional effect the flawless storytelling it is the work of great craftspeople great storytellers i don't see it as like a pseudo documentary i see it as authentic a documentary implies some sort of lack of sophistication in the filmmaking. And that is not the case here. It's very elegant, very powerful stuff. Um, it's a slice of life to me. And I think the the famous ending fulfills that concept in that the life goes on. It's, you just go on, you disappear into the crowd, but life goes on, even if you're maybe just a little bit less of a person than you were when you woke up that morning. What, uh, Corky, what, what did this movie do for you? I had never seen this movie. I, had, of mm -hmm. course, had heard of this movie. I had seen the movies where this movie gets referenced. I had seen the famous poster. You know, I I knew the broad sketches of what it was about. It's just uh, a man and his son looking forward to their bike in Italy. But I had no concept. I actually kind of was expecting a happy ending. I was thinking it's a wonderful life. It's going to end something like that. You know, that's like some sort of deus ex machina something. or a dream or an angel is going to come to like something. Yeah. Like <laughs> I didn't know Italian neo-realism -real was really just kind of like, yeah, no, there's going to be none of that. <laughs> this is a bummer. But I, and I don't say this lightly and I don't say this with hyperbole. This is a perfect movie. It is... Like you said, it's got these broad sketches, but it's got these personal sketches. It's got a story of people, but it's got a story of society. And if it was just that, it would be fine. But it's also just beautifully put together. Every shot has this movement and this vitality that's going through it. There's always constant background motion, foreground motion, but you're never off point. There's no wasted, there's not a wasted scene in this whole movie. Mm -hmm. Sequence, scene, bit of dialogue. It flows so beautifully and builds and builds and builds to where at the end, I found myself actually pleading with the movie. I'm like, please don't do this. Don't turn him in. I don't want the title to be about him. And yeah. that's what it, the, the grand stroke of this is, is that you're watching. I, I had always wanted to see when all these Marvel movies were coming out, superhero movies. I was like, let's see a villain movie. Let's see the backstory of a villain. And it's mm -hmm. kind of like what you see in this movie, not mm -hmm. on the, that grand scale, but you do see a man who's reduced to the point of he's, he's failed by everything, every mm -hmm. institution that's meant to help him, every bit of personhood that's supposed to care for him and help him fails, whether they, they're trying to help him or not. His buddies, they can't help him. And he's at such a desperate note and he doesn't want his son to know this about him. So he even hides it from his family and he's reduced to becoming what he has, ch what he's chasing the whole movie. And it's so amazing. <laughs> it's brutal. Right? Yeah. It's brutal. But then like, that's what sticks with you. And that's why I, I kind of get why people just sort of like think of this as like a really just like 
oh, this is just such a, a maybe without having seen it, maybe just think of it as like a bummer. No, it's a movie, not, but like there's so much more to this though. Like there's some really funny almost like slapstick moments to this the chase movie. Um, through the the plaza the church yeah. yeah oh my god yeah. i love it um, when life plucks you to fuck mm-hmm, with you mm-hmm. like you say he's in a danger he is he's, a, he's defeated he's alone very he's low he's given up yes he is plucked he is literally has to be found to be dragged back into the crowd to join society the rest of the movie we see him he's outside of crowds fighting with crowds reluctantly joins crowds or is forced to until the end when he he kind of drags his son along sadly into the crowd into the crowd and just becomes lost in the crowd yeah no that's a a great point yeah i mean and obviously like what's so great about the movie is that yeah it really is about this guy who's at nothing has this like sort of brief first act you know Yes. 24 hours or so of like, holy shit. Like, the, my problems are, are solved. This he had is like, a good day. He had a good day. He had one good day. Felt really good about himself. Um, but what's so amazing is that it's like the degradation happens like bit by bit. You know? Yeah. It happens like just little bit pieces of him by little piece and we're seeing it all we're seeing it but really we're seeing it through bruno mm. this little boy so it's lamberto Maggio, Maggiorani who plays antonio and it's enzo steola who plays bruno he enzo steola gives probably the best child performance ever in, in the history of movies his he is a non-professional actor he was just plucked off the street he was selling peanuts or something with his dad on the street and but to seek us on he has the most expressive yes face you know like it's it's right out of like the kid but like jackie you know coogan was a professional young child actor this kid is nothing it's so expressive and that expression like we're seeing his diminishment through Bruno. So we're measuring him by Bruno. And that's the most heartbreaking part because Bruno in the beginning is so pure in his love for his father. And I mean, that's, he dresses like him. He gets ready. Like his dad, every bit of behavior is mirroring his father, his hero in the world. And we know it's a, pretty obvious his father's nothing special no right okay? yeah. like as a, as a person like he's just a guy yeah. you know he's not a, a great man in any sort of a way but like he has this opportunity to like at least provide for his family in a situation where most people are having a lot of trouble doing that but seeing it through bruno's eyes and seeing how low he's brought and how how bruno recognizes that and how that dynamic changes and how bruno just comes above him and then at, at that final scene kind of meets him back on his level. Um, it's it, it's pretty amazing. But yeah, it's a, Steola, um, there's some great comedy. There's some great emotion on his face and the final scene of the two of them crying and uh, his tears kind of obviously breaking our hearts but breaking the hearts of the people in the crowd enough that they decide like dad can go but yeah like oh it's almost worse yeah it's almost worse for dad to go dad's not even worth arresting yeah you know and dad's I mean? shame like, is now known is. to the child dad's shame is that's always going to be a, a, a formative moment and i think i look for symbolism in things and i think bruno bringing him the hat dusting it off his dad loses his hat when the mob gets him 
And it's like, here's a respectable thing a man would wear in, that, in those yes. days. Put your hat back on, Dad. Dad. There's a little bit of humanity, yes. a little bit of your manhood back. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's also this recurring theme of Antonio not noticing while Bruno is in extreme danger, right? Like, oh! or, or mild danger. So there's the scene where he falls in the rain, yeah, which is like a big thing. He doesn't notice that he falls in the rain and he's all wet and he, and uh, Bruno's pissed off. But there's the pedophile yes. at, at the bike fair who is just all over Bruno. He, Antonio doesn't notice it at all. And then... The worst one of all, which like there's real child endangerment happening here. The scene where he almost gets hit by two cars. Two cars, yes. I mean, there's no stunt Bruno there. <laughs> That's a seven-year-old child almost <laughs> getting hit by two cars. Um, but yeah, there's just this recurring theme of like Antonio's not even really that good of a dad, you know, necessarily, <laughs> you know, but he does have love and he, he loves his wife, and you can really you feel that in the opening scenes. You feel this like sudden swelling of pride and um quirky one of my favorite scenes we'll talk about some of our favorite scenes in this movie here the pawn shop scene uh yeah towards the very beginning so so antonio gets this as you say he gets practically a lottery ticket and there's no work for anybody right there's no work for skilled artisans right bruno or uh antonio's not any kind of skilled artisan as far as we can tell but and he says he has a bike he doesn't really it's in hawk so his wife goes and volunteers to sell their sheets uh, for the bike. And I, like, this is something that if in Italian culture, like this would be part of her dowry. Yeah. And obviously, we see what class these people are. Wasn't a very good dowry. Right. Pretty weak-ass dowry. I bet, <laughs> but the sheets were like probably the highlight of the dowry. Uh, so this is important. This is like hawking your wedding ring. Yeah. This is like a, a huge part of your, your identity and what makes you, you know, like a, a decent couple. Uh, he, they go, they sell it, and man, we see this man climb the skyscraper. And so we see it's like, yeah, it's it, this. their lives are hard. but A lot of people. we see here... So many people yeah. are are degrading themselves on these levels. So many people are being forced to give up like key parts of themselves. And as we go through this movie, the like, who the hell is profiting from all of these like bicycles that are being stolen? Everyone is living in squalor. Right. The thief, we finally catch him. He's way worse off yeah. than they are. You know, like they have nothing. They have like twice as many people crammed into this space and half as much to to, to uh, you know to, to live on so uh but this scene at the at the uh, Andy's epileptic pawn shop epileptic Andy's epileptic yeah so he's a he's a pitiable person everyone is yeah. you know and that's that's the thing about uh, this movie is that it's you know of course we're feeling for Antonio of course we're feeling for Bruno but you know we see that like Nothing's easy for anyone, nope. you know. He's not just a victim. We're all they're all victims, you know, um, and they're all just trying to survive. But yeah, that scene at the pawn shop is just amazing because it's just that long, slow shot going up where you see just bed sheets after bed sheets after bed sheets after bed sheets. Yeah, not OSHA approved that uh, that whole setup there. That <laughs> that didn't look very yeah, right. This guy climbs legit thirty feet to put some blankets on a on a shelf. <laughs> Uh, did you have some favorite uh, scenes, sequences, shots that you wanted to talk about? Yeah, of course. I love when they go out to eat at the restaurant and eat Absolutely. next to the swells. Um, but what I did love, I love the little things. I love 
like when they first are riding the bike in, he's on his first day to work and he goes to drop his son off. And I thought, okay, he's taking him to school. And they know you see that Bruno at his age, no older than eight or nine years old, it works at a gas station. Right. Yeah. And he, as soon as he gets there, he dutifully goes into the shop, pulls out the can, sets up the gas thing. He is working as part of a, a, a method of technology his dad can't even afford. Mm-hmm. Like these are mm-hmm. people who are just cogs to the upper parts of society. And he's, he's learning that as a young age. This is what you yeah. do to help the family. Yeah, so you you really get a glimpse into it's sweet because he's a little kid doing it just so dutifully does it, but you really get a glimpse into like oh they got nothing going on, this is everything to them, and almost almost nobody um, does. We see one sort of wealthy family in the in the restaurant. Yeah, Um, Uh, but that's it. There's a man with a tux in the rain, and everybody kind of points it out. You know, it's like wow, yeah, look at this. Uh, and I, I did like also to call back to your uh, pawn shop. You see the predatory nature of those who actually can take take advantage of these people. It keeps them in the squalor. They have to pay the interest on, or they have to sell the sheets. They get just enough to cover the interest on storing the bike. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is just once they make money with the bike, they're going to come back cycle. to get this exactly. It's an endless right. cycle. It's always going to be an arc. Yeah. No. It's. Um, yeah, it's just an amazing uh, film, and uh, you hear about it, and you think like, okay, a bicycle is a movie about a stolen bicycle, right. big freaking deal. And it's like the the cop that he reports it to tells the reporter, it's just a bicycle. Yeah. Like it's not important enough to care about. It's certainly not juicy enough for any journalist to cover. And so, like, there's a shot in the police station where they walk past this big wall of files, and it sort of recalls this mountain of sheets, yeah. right? This like mountain of sheets that like no one will ever get back. And this like mountain of cases that will never be solved. And the cops who aren't even trying because no. like there's, there's just too freaking many. It's impossible. Um, it's so simple. It's so seemingly inconsequential or like, oh, dude, just get another bu- whatever. But it really is life or death. It life is. or death on a physical, real level. Life or death on an existential level. All right. Let's talk about the ending. Okay. Corky. Bit of a downer. <laughs> it, it sh- it's shattering. It's shattering, shattering, and it's it again. It's all built to this. Like it's all built these little moments. Like he's just he's caught the thief, and he basically has to walk away. Yes, and and is is laughed at and humiliated in front of his son as he does it, and he ends up in front of a soccer stadium, uh, the completely full soccer stadium. Obviously, he has no chance of getting into the soccer stadium. And as the scene like builds, there's just this like there's this mounting dread, and it keeps going back to like shots of bicycles, right? Like there's a bicycle sitting like way off on its own. And he's kind of like looking at it like his bicycle was. It was right. just sitting there leaning against a wall. But then he also sees these like hundreds of bicycles that are queued up outside for all the people who are you know inside the stadium. And at one point, he's just kind of going back and forth. And at one point, like the the kind of like the thing that seems to snap him is there's a shot where He's sitting on the curb with Bruno and the camera sort of kind of dollies in and there's racing bikes like go by very quickly. That seems to be like, this is just a fucking sport. Like this is just a fucking game to these people. This is my life. Yeah. Like I might not eat tomorrow if not like, and that seems to be what really sets them off. So I think like, 
it, it's amazing because you have this like Hitchcockian sense of like building uh, tension and building intrigue and the way that like with Hitchcock will we'll sort of like get you to root for and against a character. Like you, you don't want him to do it, but also when he does it, you want him to get away Yeah, because right. the worst thing would be to get caught, right? That would be the worst thing. But then there's also this Renoirian way of like everyone has their reasons. He has his reasons for stealing it. That crowd has a reason for chasing him. That guy who had his bike stolen has a reason for being upset. They have a reason to take him to the police and a reason not to take him to the police. It's it's just like, but none of that is like explained or really like overdone or forced in any. Or matters. So it's, it's, it's montage. It's composition. It's acting. It's it, it, it it's it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. This ending sequence, the whole point. There's thousands upon thousands. And this is all shot neorealism. This yeah. is an actual soccer event happening. People were not aware that they were being filmed. They're just joyous. <laughs> They're getting their joy. This man's life is shattered and he's destitute because he doesn't have a bike. There's rows of them lined up. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because it does remind him of his sitting alone. Yeah. He goes he over thinks, there. You would think it would be so much easier to go over and grab one of these other ones. But this is also his evidence. He's not a good crook because he's not a crook. No, he's a man he's at his bro- breaking point. And yeah. even just as heartbreaking, his, he sets his son to go home by himself. His son's scared, doesn't know what to do, misses the, the train or the mm-hmm. bus or whatever. So that's why he sees the whole event. But when he, you see him going back and forth pacing and with the, the hopeful should I look on his face or the the worried brow i'm just sitting there i'm like don't please don't like don't do it break my heart here you're not gonna be good at this yeah and and you the inevitable happens right and then you see the crowd start to chase and build and build and you're like this is this should have happened for him Mm -hmm. all of this should even though the person where was this when your bikes got stolen just when life plucks you out to fuck with you it's just your turn to take it Mm mm-hmm yeah, no, that's absolutely true. And I think like the, I mean, there's just so many amazing shots, but I think the shot of Bruno's face mm. as the camera sort of wraps around almost in this sort of pseudo POV shot, but I mean, it's like very beautifully done, kind of wrapped around. And, you know, again, we've talked about Enzo Stale, his such an amazing and expressive face. And it's just like shock, yeah. you know, it's stunned, stunned shock about like th- this man being laid so low this person who at the big this morning this was this was his world this yeah. was his, his god this was his model for how i should live my life and now boy, that's all blown up right and in the the ending shots where it bounces back between their faces when mm. we see bruno's it's just he's surrounded by black like yeah they're all everybody's dressed in black behind him and he's just kind of alone even though he's next to his dad he's still alone mm. in that moment yes. you know it's, He's, he is right because everyone's twice as yeah. as tall as he am. Um, but I think what's amazing about these final like minute. I mean, obviously everyone's crying. I'm crying. Yeah. Bruno's crying. Antonio's crying. Dad's so low. But like what what I think really kind of like really twings twangs the heartstrings is that you can see Bruno like gets it. Bruno gets Yo. it, and Bruno's empathizing with his dad. Like they hold hands, they fade into the crowd. Bruno understands like. This is who my dad is. Yeah. You know, this is who we are. Like this is this is our situation. You know, like it's that's kind of beautiful, but also just so. And I think like you see, Antonio recognize that and maybe yeah. 
that kind of breaking his heart a little bit more. I mean, my God, these last scenes are just amazing. So, and I mean, holy like shit. I started with, it's perfect. I said the sequencing, mm-hmm. the shots, the acting, the the storytelling, the music is just amazing. Yeah. And this is such a cliche hack thing to say, but the city is an actual character in the movie. And I mean that by, <laughs> yes. if you didn't know it was specifically Rome, you wouldn't know it's Rome. It's, it doesn't, there's no establishing shot exactly, of something yes. famous from Rome. It's, this point. is the lived in Rome. This is mm-hmm. the place that locals would know Rome. Yeah, the tourists don't go to these neighborhoods. Exactly. And you can see the levels of the neighborhoods because he chooses mm-hmm. to shoot that way. And there's one great just shot when he's getting chased out of that town and he's walking by himself. He's left Bruno back with the mob and he's walking under the one sunlit part in this avenue Mm. up against the wall. It's just so, just so beautifully done. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And it does, I mean, you know, it is documentary. Like I think, especially when you compare it to movies of that era, just um, he puts up poster for uh, Gilda, yeah, um, Rita Hayworth, yeah. Rita Hayworth. So, I mean, I think part of that's like a commentary on like sort of the, the predominance of American culture yep. at the time. Yeah, you and know, something he'll never attain little... to. Uh, oh, sure. Yeah, sophistication. he's see Gilda. Yeah. And that, yeah, that level of sophistication. Um, and Gilda's an amazing movie, but I'm trying to think like, was there even a single scene that was shot <laughs> like on location or outside of a studio in Gilda? Gilda's an amazing movie, yeah. right? But like, that's what that, what, Gilda was what movies were like at the time. And the Bicycle Thief is like actually going out on the streets, you know? And that's like, this is hard. That's it's pretty hard good. to do that at the time. This Cameras did not fit on your shoulder at the time. Uh, and of course they were shooting uh, MOS. Um, so uh, no sound and mm. dub it all later. Uh, Antonio's voice is actually dubbed. Oh, was that right? It is. And uh, Lamberto Maggiorani, boy, you want a sad story. Oh, yeah. No, I, I heard this. Yeah. So he, uh, this, you know, this was, he was plucked out of obscurity. He was yep. really, he was a laborer. You know what I mean? And uh, was given, I think, the equivalent of like $1,000 in that day's money, which is, you know, probably ten twenty thousand 20000 now. And Quirky, if you or I won ten or 20000 Yeah. It would, we wouldn't quit our jobs. Would be, we'd, we'd do what Lamberto did. We'd take our family on vacation and maybe buy that new couch we were looking at <laughs> from West Elm. Uh, but everyone on his construction crew figured, well, you're a freaking millionaire movie star like Rita Hayworth. You don't need this job. We can so let you go. Fired. Yeah. He got fired from his job that actually paid him real money. And never really made a few other appearances in movies, but he never really met anything close to his success with this movie. And again, I mean, th- this film was not well received in in Italy. Uh, not surprisingly, I guess at that time it, it was hitting a little too close to home. And I think at that point, there was the feeling of like, all right, we're we're sort of beyond this. <laughs> this isn't relevant yeah. anymore, right? Like the 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 economy is better. Whether it's like relevant, it's you know, it's like the World War II Italyness of it. Other than like a, obviously very predominant hand gesturing. <laughs> not important you know like the the vision of like poverty of family of fathers and sons and and all the things that they go through i think are still like incredibly relevant anytime any era Uh, but yeah it was not a well-received movie but within four years it was the number one film on the sight and sound list and it was on the list this year in 2022 that's why we watched it that's why we reviewed it so yeah he never really 
even DeSica didn't really cast him, uh, and he he basically died very poor, uh, and that's it. Not a not a very exciting life for like one of the great icons of uh, Italian cinema and uh, all world cinema. One other thing I did find fascinating about the movie, like I said, about how institutions fail him, uh, whether established institutions or aspiring ones. I know the mm. director had some leftist leaning proclivities, but yeah. even the socialists in this movie. They'd rather talk big grand schemes than actually help yeah. people, you know? They want to get together and make speeches and everybody else, sh- like, they shush him. And you're like, this is a real problem. Yeah. Like, this is a real problem happening right in front of you and you could help him. And this was the one part that I thought was, like, really on the nose, but I didn't mm-hmm. mind. It's like there's a they're rehearsing a play in the same bunker that these people are doing their secret socialist meeting and stuff. It's like, <laughs> it's all performative. You know, oh, sure. you're not yeah. actually helping. Right. Yeah. No, that's good stuff. Oh, Bicycle Thieves. Quirky. Amazing. Let's measure this movie on our rating scale. We decide if the movie was slight or sound. I don't know. When you throw around words like perfect. Yeah. I I feel like I I think I know which way you're going. But just to (laughs) close a loop, check a box, quirky. Bicycle Thieves, Ladre de Bicicleta, was it slight or was it sound? We would be complete fucking assholes if we did anything but rate this as sound. Oh, boy. Because it <laughs> it was the first number one. It, while it stayed relevant, it it is slipping. I don't think it should have slipped as much as it has. I mm. This has moved into one of my favorite movies ever. I, I think this is just fantastic, amazing. I'm glad I finally saw it. I don't know what I was thinking not seeing it. But you know what, though? I might not have really understood it when I was 21. Uh, or it might not have hit as hard. Yeah, fair enough. You know, it's all everything happens for a reason. Absolutely. No, it doesn't. That, not the message of the bicycle. Exactly. Things happen just to fucking destroy you. It, until Vittorio comes with his two cohorts. <laughs> and, and that's another thing I love that... You know, he meets several different people, but you mm. don't get like follow-ups on any of what they're about. Like the man right. at the church and stuff like that. It's just a man. At the, he's got his own problems. And then he just disappears. And, yeah. and while he is saying, I'm not going to help you, he's taking all the help he can from the church. You know, mm-hmm. everybody is on a game. Yes. Everyone's just trying to get a little something, something. Yeah. Just a little something. And no one's getting rich. No. Like <laughs> that's none of these people. No one that we meet. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes in doing research for this or for Dear Daniel, you know, I, I'll, I'll look at a score on Rotten Tomatoes or Metacritic's, like, you know. So there'll be those movies where you're just like, oh my God, who are the three, like, <laughs> fuck up critics who decided to give this, like, a, a, a positive review or something like that? Okay, so you think Bicycle Thieves. That's a no doubt or 100. Yeah. I, I, any idiot, right? 99 there's one douche there's one douche and he's like the score is annoying what oh my god that and then of course i followed up and was like well let's see what do you give everything else everything is fresh everything every superhero movie every piece of nonsense so bleep bleep from the publications bleep (laughs) bleep 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 bleep.com and little bleep bleeps you're a bleeping bleep full of bleep. I mean, I don't care about any of this shit, but seriously, go fuck yourself. 
this movie's amazing. Perfect. It really is perfect. It is. I mean, it's, 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 and like that makes it, I don't know, that makes, does that make it sound boring? Like, it's just, it's really an amazingly beautiful, beautiful film. I saw it probably when I was 21 in a film class. Sure. I mean, I think a lot of people it's make complete you film know, so class. That's your introduction to film class. Yeah. This is like, this is some, some, some basic stuff, especially for us here in the Western world, you know? I have not seen it since, and man, it it has just as much power and probably more power. And I think I, it hits more just again with like the the generational aspects of it of just seeing like the father and the son, and again, it's all through Bruno's eyes. It's all Bruno watching. I know we talked in another movie with some Italian characters, Captain Corelli's mandolin on their Daniel Cage match about like how annoying it was that like John Hurt was watching people, watching people, watching. Well, that's because he wasn't watching shit and he didn't matter for shit. Yeah. Bruno fucking matters for shit. And when he, we see his reaction to how, uh, his reaction when he gets slapped. Yeah. By his father. I mean, that changes everything because it's for no reason. Right. It's for no, it's just because dad's frustrated. frustrated. Yep. He's frustrated, gives him a slap, and that is where it all really kind of changes for for Bruno, I think, to see like, wow, dad is, dad's maybe not the hero that I thought he was. But yes, fucking sound. Sound. Boy, this thing is sound. It is tight. It is amazing. It's an amazing film. It, absolutely, it's sound. It's what the canon was made for. Exactly. Like it's to say like, hey, everybody, don't forget to watch Bicycle Thieves. <laughs> really ought to watch Bicycle Thieves. You know what I mean? Like, don't put this on a shelf. Don't put labels on it. Don't put it in a box. Don't climb up four stories to no, lump it with a bunch of other laundry. Unless you're, you're, that's the only way you can watch it. Then I say climb four stories. Then I say do that. Yeah, that's what it takes. Then I say do it. So that is two nominations of sound for Bicycle Thieves, and that means that Bicycle Thieves goes directly into the cannon fodder. Cannon. We've got now. Fourteen, fifteen movies yep. in there. Fifteen. And if you're interested in seeing Bicycle Thieves, if we've talked you into it and you've never seen it or you want to re- uh, re- rewatch it, uh, go to the Criterion Channel or Max. If you subscribe to either of those, it's on there. It's available to rent on all your usual VOD services. It's highly recommended. It's like 89 minutes. Is again 89 minutes of no fat. No fat. None. There's no all filler. And, don't, there's no mid credit sequence. No chilling. Up bicycle thieves to colon. <laughs> Rome, Rome's a popping. I don't know. <laughs> Roman all over. <laughs> all right. So we thought it was sound as a pound, but what did you think about bicycle thieves? Tell us. Did you watch it with us? Have you seen it before? We'd love to hear your take, unless you're bleep bleep from bleep and bleep. Contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Dare Daniel Pod and tell us what you thought. Also, send us your can. What's your top ten? Yeah, what's your sight and sound list? We, we love a listeners it. list. Listeners lists. We will list your listeners lists on our list serve. Corky, we were not asked to contribute lists to the critics' sight and sound poll. Rude. They didn't ask rude. us. It was rude. And uh, I'll never forgive them. We'll just do a podcast advertising their, <laughs> their publication for free. But we will not Sight- forgive them. Subscribe to Sight and Sound, a publication of the British Film Institute. Sight and Sound. Our sworn enemies. <laughs> I hate them so much. But really, they did great But work. that's like... 
<laughs> that's not going to stop us no. from sharing our list. So over the course of the next couple, this is a little bonus content for everybody here. So over the course of the next couple episodes, we're going to share our own personal sight and sound top 10 lists. So I'm going to start. I'll do mine this uh, this episode, Quirky, in a couple of weeks. Uh, you'll share yeah. yours. What's interesting about this this list is it's basically just pick 10. Pick 10. And that's that's the only rule. Honestly, you don't even need to pick films. There are people who are picking TV shows. There are people who pick YouTube videos. There's people who pick it's just all sorts of things. And it's short films, uh, long films, animated films, documentary films. Basically, it's your decision. Just pick 10. No rules, no nothing, and it's not ranked. It's, you know, it's not a ranked choice list. Everything is just one point. McCorky, without rules, you have chaos, and mm. I will not allow that. I want to be known as the law and order critic. Look out, criminals. The Look Law and Order Critic sounds like a YouTube movie critic from like 2006. He would dress up like a cop and be like, what movies are arrested and which are free to go? This movie committed a felony. It'd be poorly lit, recorded in his living room. Law and Order, Scoff Laws, uh, TV shows, short films, you get out of here. So I... I I, just, I mean, this is such a hard thing to do, right? Because there are no rules right. on it. That makes it even more difficult because it could be anything. It could be any goddamn thing. It could be my shoelaces. I don't know. Whatever. Could be. So I put rules on it anyway. I like to put rules on things. I know. Just, it makes it easier, right? It makes it easier. You so in my, my point of view, I'm going feature-length films only. Okay. I'm going no docs. Gotcha. I'm going nothing from the last 10 years. I, you know... I just see a lot of new movies on there, and obviously Bicycle Thieves, four years after. You know, sure. To me, with so much out there over now a century of yeah. uh, film history, it's a little tacky to say, like, oh, yeah, this instantly goes in. There was considerably less movies at that time to choose Absolutely. from. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We've had 70 year, more years of movies <laughs> since then. Are you going films that aren't already on the list as well? And yes, and I've decided uh, since a few weeks ago we shared our collective canon, our first 12 uh, honorary inductees into the canon. Of course, we've also inducted Bicycle Thieves, Rashomon, and Exterminating Angels since then. But yes, I decided, you know what? Cross off those. Like, let's give some more guys a chance. Uh, and Corky, as I go, uh, I'm going to let you say up or down if you've seen it and you really think it is canon worthy, you would say this is one of the great films Ooh, in my humble okay. opinion then you'll second it and we'll put it in if not you know what it goes out into the wasteland and maybe we'll revisit it at some uh, point later in time okay so my top 10 list very quickly just to run through it top 10 films of all time that we have not already put into our pantheon some of these are on the site and sound top 250 some of them aren't ah here we go numero uno city lights that is my favorite Charlie Chaplin film. Down. One Haven't seen it. It's amazing. It's an amazing film. Check it out. Dr. Strangelove. Down. A guy named Stanley Kubrick. Never seen it? Haven't seen it. Wow. Uh, amazing uh, satire of uh, nuclear war. Peter Sellers. One of the best performances of all time. I'm pretty sure you have not seen the next several. Uh, Lola Montez by Max Ophels. Uh, really, really gorgeous epic movie about a fallen woman uh, pale flower from the japanese filmmaker masahiro shinoda 
Um, just stunning, dreamlike imagery there. A fixture on the sight and sound list, and really one of my all-time favorites. Just watched it again uh, maybe a year or two ago. Rules of the Game by Jean Renoir. My next five. This film, it's still on the list, the sight and sound list, but I think uh, the sort of whatever you want to call political correctness today, wokeness, I guess. I just want to diminish it, but... It's uh, obviously taken a harsher view of The Searchers by John Ford, but I still think it's an absolutely uh, amazing... I've seen the remake, haven't seen the original. There you go. Sam Fuller's Shock Corridor. Uh, my God, what a movie. I mean, this this might be my favorite movie uh, of all time. Wow. But it touches home. It's about a perverted journalist who dreams of winning awards and instead is driven insane. For some reason, it touched a nerve. Uh, everyone loves this movie. Singing in the goddamn rain. Stanley Donan, Gene Kelly. It's the best musical ever made. Dan, I have not seen it. Corky has, uh, has not seen a film, I think we've said, since it was... 2000, 2006s? Yeah. Uh, what was it? World Trade Center? What, what was the last movie you saw? It was Flight 93. <laughs> and I didn't know what it was about. Uh, I went in blind. <laughs> you had never heard of 9-11. No, I, yeah. Which is, that That was kind of, well, that, that's sort of on you. Kind of slept that day. The newest movie I have on this list is from 2007. It's Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. Me and the wife uh, just it was earlier this year we did a Paul Thomas Anderson cast. Oh, and nice. God damn it. This this one has... It is the great American novel in film yeah. form. Yeah, uh, Up, have seen it. We put it on the list. Uh, you want to talk... Ring, ding, ding. You want to talk about Bad Fathers? space in the canon. Hell, oh, was it Bad <laughs> <laughs> Stole more than just a mere bike. And finally, the movie that was number one on the 2012 critics list. Ooh, uh, this year, I think it was number two. Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo with Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it. Oh, quirky. Well, here's nine for you to watch. Here's nine and ten for everybody to watch. So, again, that's... Charlie Chaplin's City Lights, that's Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop Wearing and Love the Bomb, Max Ophel's Lola Montez, Masahiro Shinoda's Pale Flower, Jean Renoir's The Rules of the Game, John Ford's The Searchers, Shot Corridor directed by Sam Fuller, Singing in the Rain by Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly, Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood, and Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. So we got one. We got one in the Pantheon. And hopefully those are some good picks if you haven't seen them. And, you know, let me know what you think of my picks. They're obviously uh, some kind of pseudo-intellectual film bro bullshit. I mean, that goes without saying. Um, I think uh, my uh, track record on films on that list that I've seen really, really bolsters my intro as noted cinephile Corky McDonald. Noted cinephile. (laughs) You don't need to watch movies to be a cinephile. Just be aware of them. You like the whole idea of it. <laughs> I approve of the technology of motion picture filming. I have no problem with movies. Yeah. I'd let that, that be known. Corky. Yeah. You know, w- w- between Bicycle Thieves and There Will Be Blood, we got two two in the canon. I mean, that's that's something to celebrate. I think we're up to 15 now. This is a, it's a pretty solid little canon. I'm going to post a link to it uh, in the episode the post for the show on daredaniel.com but corky 
We've come to that time. Uh-oh. It's time Beep-bop. to make our Beep-bop. offering. We have to make an offering to the gods of the random number generator. Hey, speed it to sanctum. Holy as shit. So, Quirky, I'm going to plug these numbers one okay. to none of your business into the number generation. And I'm going to generate a number. He's doing we a one potato, two potato, three potato, four. Ready to go. <laughs> Whichever film corresponds to the number chosen by our random number generator gods. That's what we're reviewing on next week's show. Here we go. Pressing the button. Generate. We have number 32. We're high on the list again. Ooh, Ooh quirky. Yeah. We, we're traveling the world here. So we have been to Japan. Brazil. We've been to Brazil. We've been to Mexico by way of Spain and sort of England a little bit. Uh, Italy. How do you feel about Russia? Hey. Quirky. How about a little movie called Battleship Potemkin? Okay. <laughs> Battleship Potemkin, so, 1925 silent movie directed by Sergei Eisenstein. Very key movie in establishing montage. Uh, Eisenstein, one of the great um, filmmakers, uh, one of the great um, people who used editing to um, create an effect. Read you a little synopsis of Battleship Potemkin, 1925 film. It is a dramatized account of a great Russian naval mutiny and a resultant public demonstration showing support which brought on a police massacre. The film had an incredible impact on the development of cinema and is a masterful example of montage editing. Quirky, you've never seen Battleship Potemkin. I've never seen it, but it does sound happier than The Bicycle Thief. Oh, it's a it's a gas a oh, mutiny boy. which leads to a police massacre. <laughs> let, let me tell you, it uh, it does not feature those moments of uh, tenderness and humor as much as uh, that, that submarine does. <laughs> submarine movies are known for. <laughs> but it is a, a hell of a film. Uh, I've seen it. It's been a while. Okay, it's good. Been a, like, this is another one that was like a film school movie for me um probably haven't seen it since i was in my 20s much like the bicycle so i'm very excited to revisit again and you should definitely listen and you should definitely listen along with this uh, because it's very easy to do it's available if you subscribe to criterion if you subscribe to max but it is also free on voodoo it's free on youtube it's free all over the internet uh, watch this film. Watch this uh, pillar of Russian cinema and really cinema in general. As you're doing that and we're stealing your time, make sure we steal a little bit more of your time by checking out our websites, daredaniel.com and go to Dare Daniel Pod on Facebook and Instagram for more updates on this show. Just spend time with us. Like and comment. Let us know what you're thinking. Maybe we're going to rename this thing Dan Drags Quirky Along to Watch Great Movies because I haven't seen shit, apparently. <laughs> like and rate us, like I said. If you're interested in helping us out, donate to the show so we're not reduced to stealing bicycles. Go to daredaniel.com. Find the donate button. It's drawn. It's the little image. It looks like a bike. Click on it. <laughs> uh, you can click. No, just kidding. Don't look for the little image of a bicycle. Click support the show or the donate button. And for Cannon Fodder, I'm noted cinephile, Corgi McDonald. And I'm noted cinephile, Daniel Barnes. And until next time, save us a seat in the back row. Ba-da-ba-ba-da-bum. Wah.